Well, uh, welcome. Glad you all could join us um, online uh, as we continue our study of the book of Exodus. And, um, you know, we're praying right now. We're praying um, for you where you're at. We're praying for the whole world. And um, as the church, this is historically where the church has shined. And so we're going to continue to have eyes up at the Lord. Uh, And even right now, this is part of, of of looking in to be transformed like lord let's sit with your word as the world is in upheaval and uncertainty and and then what does it look like for us believers to go out uh and and live amidst uncertainty and so uh, i hope that this time uh it's a pretty short sermon especially for me and so i guess we'll remain to be seen it's planned to be short but um i hope this encourages you um as you continue to trust in god and we'll be we'll we'll do that together and so uh, thanks for joining us. You know, I did want to start with this. When I was a kid, I don't know about you, but I, I was really into magic tricks. And I had uh, a fake card deck. I even had a, a, a double-sided coin, which is really um, unethical now that I look back. And I'm sure I owe a whole lot of, you know, 10-year-olds um, when we were all 10. or not 10 anymore. I'm sure I owe, uh, owe a lot of old classmates uh, some lunch money from some of that sh- my shady dealings. But I really liked them. Um, but then as I got older, like card tricks didn't really do the trick. And so I really gravitated. My favorite magician, he's really an illusionist, is David Copperfield. And I just think, I mean, he made the Statue of Liberty disappear, a jet. I mean, you name it, like there's nothing too big for him to cover. And so I just really thought his stuff, he's really an actor. He's got that charisma to him. He's great. I know there's Penn and Tellers, a lot of great ones out there. But David Copperfield's my man. And so I saw him do an interview once, and he explained that he won't do any trick unless he can do it in multiple ways. That way, if someone figures out, no, no, I know what you did, you did sleight of hand here, or this or that, or someone helped you there, he can say no and do the same trick just a different way. It's pretty amazing. He is a master illusionist uh, for sure. Well, this morning, as we continue our study on the book of, of Exodus, uh, we're going to see God perform, I'll use the word tricks here, they're really signs, the Bible calls them signs, but God is going to perform these signs, not for entertainment value, like Penn and Teller, or David Copperfield, or 10-year-old Carl out in the playground, is that they are going to serve a purpose. What God is going to communicate through these next uh, few chapters in Exodus is that he will reveal the source of his power, the assurance of his love amidst opposition all around his people. And so that's what we're going to look at here this this morning. And so if you've got your Bibles or open your Bible app to the book of Exodus, chapter 4, Exodus 4, Genesis, Exodus, second book of the entire Bible, chapter 4, right there uh, in the beginning. Now, as Mitch explained really over these last couple weeks, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. And so God raises up a deliverer, a guy by the name of Moses. Most of us have, I'm sure, heard of Moses. Moses did amazing things. However, um, as great as Moses was, he didn't want the job. He said, no, God, like, uh, why me? What do I say to people? You're going to tell me things? I'm going to come down from this mountain and tell them what to do and what to not to do? And, And what if they say, well, who are you to say this? What if they say, well, who told you this? What do I say? And that was beautiful last week with the I am who I am in Exodus 3. And so there's this whole thing where, where, where he's not really wanting 
this grand task. And so our first point this morning, we're going to start right with it, reveals what God is really getting to here, is number one, the source of sufficiency. This is what God is trying to get through to Moses first, so that Moses can then pass this on to everyone else. It's no different than what God is trying to do and reveal to us, so we can pass on to everyone else. And so the source of sufficiency. So let's read here in chapter 4, um, verse 1. So this whole conversation is going, Moses answered again, well, if they do not believe me or pay attention to me, but if they say, the Lord has not appeared to you, if they question this whole thing, the Lord said, verse 2, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So he did. And it became a snake. And Moses ran from it, just like we would all do. There's a snake. It was a stick. Now it's a snake. He runs away. The Lord said, put out your hand and grab it by the tail. And so he put out his hand, he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. The Lord said, also said to him, put your hand in your robe, put your hand in your pocket. So he did. And he brought it out. There was his hand, leprous like snow. He said, put your hand back in your pocket. Gladly. <laughs> Can't really get a lot worse than that. He does. He pulls it out, and it was restored like the rest of his skin. If they do not believe you or pay attention to the former sign, the stick, then they may believe the latter sign, the leprous hand. And if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to you, then take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take out of the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So Moses has this staff. It's just a stick. He lays it down. It becomes a snake. He picks it back up. It's a staff again. Trick number two, sign number two. Puts his hand in his pocket. Comes leprous. Puts his hand back in. Takes it out again. And it's clean. And then for the finale, he scoops water. It's just water from the Nile River, which will become relevant real soon. I think in two weeks. Um, and he pours it out, and it's blood. Or next week, it turns to blood. And so, pretty amazing feat. Moses is a firsthand witness and participant of these amazing signs by God. I mean, okay, now he's going to get it, right? Surely, Moses will be convinced. Well, next verse, in verse 10, it says, Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, God, I'm not an eloquent man neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave a mouth to man? Or who makes a person mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So now go, and I'll be with your mouth and will teach you what you must say. Okay, that's pretty good, right? No, verse 13. Moses said, Oh, God, please send anyone else whom you wish to send. Verse 14, then the Lord became very angry with Moses. Quick pause here, right? I mean, this isn't like, even like we, we spent time with Jonah, right? And it was very simple. Go to Nineveh and preach, right? And, and we know Jonah went once they get to not Nineveh. This is like not even just one time. God is continuing to call to Moses, do this, obey me, answer my call. And so for us, what is it? That God is continuing to ask you and me and us to do, us to be about. And, and if we're honest, are we still making excuses? Well, I, I've never done it before. 
Oh, I don't have the resources for that. Oh, I don't know enough. I don't speak well enough. I, 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 this, this. And, and God, God is angry with Moses. God gets angry. Now, you're going to see, like, this is, I wish I could have this kind of anger. This is really what righteous anger would be. Like, he's angry, but there's so much grace in this, ang- in this anger. Something that we, we really can't fully attain in our flesh. But he's angry, but, but even God proposes a solution. He's like, okay, I get it. Listen, Moses, you know what? I know this is going to end anyway. You're going to kind of have some issues. But, but you're still my guy. I still chose you. But how about we send, the rest of verse 14, your brother Aaron, the Levite. The Levite, this is very, very relevant because as, as this whole body is getting built up, the Levites were set apart as priests. That would be the priestly people. And so he sends, uh, he calls Aaron the Levite. I know he can speak very well. Moreover, you know, here he comes. <laughs> and uh, when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. So you are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And as for me, God, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you both what you must do. He will speak for you to the people. And it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were his God. You will also take in your hand the staff with which you will do the signs. So Moses still doesn't want the job. Pick anyone, anyone, anyone. God's angry, but they settle on on Aaron. And then um, verse 30 tells us, just to kind of tell you how that happened, verse 30 we can jump to, says that Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. Amen. Right? I mean, there it is. Now it's time to go march into Pharaoh's office and get this exodus back on the road. Literally. Right? So, in chapter 5, Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh. They ask if they could take a long weekend out and to go sacrifice to their God and present offerings to God. And Pharaoh's like, I don't know this God. You sl- he literally calls them slackers. So insert Back to the Future reference here, right? He says, you slackers. No, you just try and get out of work. I won't allow it. And he hardened his heart on them. And so not only does Pharaoh deny the request, he, he then pr- gives orders to the foreman to, to make it even harder on the Israelites. They are, the foreman, the Egyptians, are no longer going to provide straw to the Israelites to make their bricks. But they're going to require that they continue to make the same quota bricks. Now the Israelites have to go fetch straw and all the materials for the bricks, bring it back, and then still make them. And so this is this is unbearable. It's not even really possible. But Pharaoh, there is no favor here, and it's not going well at all. And so it's just fascinating to me that right after this awe-inspiring demonstration of the source's efficiency, our first blank, we run smack dab into our second blank, which is the opposition to God's plan. God's people are pumped. God has finally gotten through to Moses enough with Aaron's help that we're doing it. They've seen the signs. They've seen the source of the sufficiency of God. But now they've run right into the most powerful human on earth. There's a simple spiritual law at work here. Whenever God has a plan, which is all the time, right, for your life, for mine, for our church, for our city, even for the world amidst 
coronavirus and all that. While God is at work, there's a simple spiritual law. Whenever God's at work, the evil one will oppose it. Any way possible. The evil one will sneak in there and discourage and distract and cause us to sin, cause us to lose our sight on Christ. This is what he does. Like the Israelites, hey, we want to go sacrifice something to God. You want to sacrifice something to God? This is, this is timely in our Lenten season. Perhaps many of you have, have given something up, sacrificed something for God for Lent. Maybe you've sacrificed something in your life for God. Maybe you live a certain way, sacrificing yourself to God. Well, careful what you wish for. Because the spiritual law is at work. You want to follow God's plan, you're going to face opposition. And many men, many people have, have quit because of that. Because it is hard. But you want to give up something for God, you just count on it. You'll be tempted, discouraged, possibly attacked, certainly questioned. Like, what are you doing? That's weird. That's strange. Nobody does that. Why would you live that way? You'll be doubted. You can count on that. Even amidst this coronavirus, right, the church should respond not in fear, but in courage. That would be strange. That will be strange to the world. Right. We'll face opposition. Another example, you want to pursue purity in your mind or in, or in your relationships? Amen. Like, that's trusting in God's best for you. You should do that. Every one of us needs to do that, wherever our life face. But you really make that a point? You can just count on it. You're going to face temptation everywhere you turn. There's going to be some weird reason that you're going to need to be driving on West Kennedy Avenue or on uh, North Southdale Mabry there, which those of you, if you're not from around here, that's where like uh, there's, there's strip joints there and there's all these plastic surgery um, practices and, and apparently there's no like advertising laws in Tampa. And so the billboards are quite suggestive. And so there's going to be a reason to be in front of you. I was just literally just met with uh, one of our young adults and, and they were sharing that it's wild. Every time I really try to tackle this issue, I'm not kidding. I look up and like all the time, all the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life are just randomly everywhere. They're running on Bayshore. They're sitting at the table next to me. And, and it's like I'm fighting it and I'm not pursuing I'm not going to act on it. But it's just a constant reminder that it's there. And that's an example of this. Fight the good fight. Hold your ground. Follow God's plan and will in your life, but don't be deceived. You will face opposition of any which kind. James, uh, the brother of Jesus, describes it like this in, in, his, in his letter, chapter 4. I had a couple of verses I can throw up for you, but he's describing, listen, if you are desiring to take your faith, the most serious thing in your life, if you desire to honor God and follow Him and submit to Him, well, anytime we draw near God, the devil's present. And the next verse, I think, uh, no, that's the one. The devil's present, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Followers of Christ will face constant opposition. Don't give in. Resist the devil and follow God's plan. And here's the beauty of all this. And there's so many examples I could give, but you're smart people. What is it in your life that God's called you to do? What's he calling you to sacrifice? And then amidst the opposition, are you standing firm? Are you standing firm together with brothers and sisters in the Lord that we're going to fight this? We're going 
We're going to confess. We're going to bring into the light. We're going to regenerate our hearts for Christ, right, amidst opposition. But here's the beauty of it. comes to our third point is this. You can trust God because there is the assurance of deliverance. In Exodus chapter 5, the very end of chapter 5, verse 22, Moses says this. He says, Lord, why have you caused trouble for your people? So opposition, like, Lord, what? This, everything was great in chapter 4. You're burning bushes without burning them in chapter 3. Like, we're, okay, I'm in. We're in. And then, and then chapter 5 happens. Why all this opposition? Why did you ever send me, right? Doesn't it feel like that? Why me? From the time I went to speak to Pharaoh in your name, boldly, with confidence, knowing that you'd be with me, knowing that you would speak for me, he has caused trouble for this people. And you have certainly not rescued them. Strong words, Moses. But God responds in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For compelled by my strong hand, he will release them. And by my strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. In other words, Operation Exodus, it's back on. It's a go. All systems go for Exodus. Now, now next week, really over the next couple of weeks, um, Mitch is going to walk us through um, the great lengths that God will go to compel people to soften hearts for his will to happen. That strong hand, it's going to get pretty literal. And so you're going to want to track with us uh, over these next few weeks. It gets, it gets pretty exciting here. Hashtag plagues. But here's what it boils down to. Because God is the source of sufficiency, any opposition to His plan, it carries the assurance of deliverance. And so right now, all the things weighing on us, weighing on our hearts, the uncertainty um, with the coronavirus, and, and all the other fears and just difficulties of, of, of what are the effects going to be of that or anything in our life, anytime, whether you're watching this live and, and this is, this is uh, the news everywhere. Maybe you're watching this years from now, and that's long in the past, and there's some new issue in your life or in the world, right? But whatever, whatever this opposition, whatever the struggle is, be reminded that God carries the assurance of deliverance. He promises that. It doesn't always look like how we want, and the timing, I mean, we're, we're going to get into this 40-year exodus, 40 years. The timing is not always what we want. It doesn't always turn out how we would plan it if we were God, but that's it. He's God. I'm not. And so I'll trust Him. I love Him. And so He will deliver with assurance. I want to close with this, this question. Um, it's rhetorical from the standpoint of I want you to sit with it, but there's some blanks on it, and I'll fill it, fill it out for you there, but it's, it's this. I want you to really sit with this. What are you holding on to? Like picture of Moses and the staff, right? That's what I'm connecting this to. What are you holding on to? That in your hand it's just a stick. Or in your hand it's just this or that, whatever it is. But what are you holding on to that if you let go, God would do something miraculous? God would perform a sign to His glory. Not entertainment value. Not your glory. Oh, Carl did a sign, or you did a sign, and so therefore um, you're amazing, or there's something special about you. No, you are like Moses. I can't do this. I'm like Moses. I don't know about this. 
or even Aaron. Okay, I have the skills to speak, but, uh, you know, you got to feed me the lines because I don't dwell with God like Moses does, my brother. But what are we holding on to? The bitterness, our pride, our sin, our image. The list will go on forever, but we hold on to these things, our, our, our finances, especially in a tumultuous time. The markets are tanking, right? And so fear, fear, fear. We hold on to fear, and it cripples us, and it enslaves us. That we hold on to, we're holding on to these sticks. But what God is saying is, let it down. Drop it. Let it go. And he'll make something alive. And he'll do a sign, promising, assuring, delivering. Assuring that sufficiency comes from him amidst the opposition. God is at work in your life, in our communities, and in the world. I guarantee it. Even during coronavirus, this pandemic, God is at work. And He's constantly creating. And He's calling us to follow Him and to be faithful. He's calling us to be and make disciples. The Apostle John writes in uh, one of his epistles, his little letter, uh, 1 John uh, chapter 4, which is just one of the just ultimate chapters in all of Scripture. But in 1 John 4, 13, he says, By this... By, by, by this, by this, this assurance he's talking about. We know that we reside in God and He in us. In that, He has given us His Spirit. You, right now, if you have put your trust in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. That's what he's talking about. And then verse 14, he says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And so right now, with all the uncertainty, God has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. It is His assurance to you that whatever happens next, whether it's coronavirus or your own life, like, we don't know. I've, I've attended two funerals this past month in Michigan that had nothing to do with coronavirus. And there's that tornado in Nashville. Like, all we don't know. But we do know that God is good and that He's up to something good in your life and in your communities and in the world. And so we can trust Him. And so as I close in prayer, take this season, take the rest of this day to pray, to keep your eyes on Christ and to be faithful. Have your eyes open to the world, a hurting, lost, confused world that doesn't even have solutions to what's going on. But Christ does. We love you. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. And as we worship you and as we pause to remember you on this Sunday, Lord, that we know that you are with us, that you are God, and we love you. And we can declare that together. We can say that um, softly, just us and you. We can gather together with our families and we can point up that you are God and that we are not, but you will provide and you are will deliver. Father, we trust you. Would you miraculously turn even coronavirus to your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.